You're listening to Deeper Magic. Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeper Magic. I am Peter and I am with my daughter here, Anna. Say hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. You're so good. Thank you, thank you. Excited to do this episode. We are going to start talking a bit about mental health, but Mm -hmm. even as we started trying to prep to do this episode, I think both of us realized quite quickly that there's a lot in all of this. And to use the Mm -hmm. phrase from Genesis 1, tohu vavohu, or the the earth is formless and void, or sort of this chaotic mess, it just feels like even jumping into this topic is super tohu vavohu. There's so much here, and I don't even hardly know where to start. Yeah. And part of what you and I have talked about a little bit is the idea that from your generation to my generation, in your generation, even the, I don't know necessarily if I would go so far as to say the concept of mental health, but at least the open and wide ranging discussion of mental health is super unfamiliar to a lot of people in your generation and then the generation above you as well. Whereas in my generation, these are terms that are thrown around like even more consistently than on the daily basis. Like this is an hourly conversation that I'm having with people. And it's almost to the point where like for you, if these terms are maybe unfamiliar, then it's a question of like, what do these terms mean? And for me, it's a question of slowing down and being like, what are these words that I'm using on a daily basis? What do they mean? What are the implications of this? And where did they come from? Like, why am I, why is this the reality that I'm living in right now? Right, right. Well, and you, you said it well right there, is the experience that I've had mm-hmm. related to mental health as a university instructor, professor, has been that in, I, I want to say it was probably 2004, 2005, 2006, when I first got yeah. started teaching, let's say that I had 100 students each semester, which was about right. And then of those 100 students, there was maybe one who had come up to me, certainly in private, mm-hmm. a little bit sheepish. And would say, Professor, I'm struggling with anxiety or I have depression or something. And I'm just might need some occasional help in the classroom. And there wasn't a lot in university by way of what's called student accommodations or Mm -hmm. names on a list of students that the professors would get privately that would say names of students. Yeah, I'm sorry, a list of (laughs) of names of students. A name of lists of students. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a professional radio show host. You know that, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Uh So I would get a a list of names of Mm -hmm. students. And it was in private about who needed accommodations. But truly, it was one, maybe two, maybe three at most yeah. of those hundred. And something happened mm-hmm. in 2006, seven, eight. I think, I think we know some of the things that happened and we can talk about some of this down the road. But all of a sudden there was this exponential rise in students saying, I need some kind of accommodation for my mental health to the point that now if I have those same hundred students and I survey my class. So th- yeah. this is not scientific research, but I, I do survey all my classes and I will ask them questions of, how many of you are struggling with depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, um, some sort of anxiousness? Are you on therapeutic intervention? Are you yeah. in therapy? Any of those kind of questions. I would say, Anna, that 28 out of 30 in a given mm-hmm. class, so that extrapolates out to like 94-ish yeah. out of 100 students, say, yep, that's me. Well, it's more unusual for me to meet somebody who doesn't have some kind of mental health thing going on than than somebody like that's kind of assumed common ground in right. my generation. Whereas if you find somebody who's like, no, I don't deal with anxiety or depression or any of these other things or my mental health is fantastic. We're all like, are you like the assumption is not 
oh, that's awesome. The assumption is you're in denial. Yeah, right. Well, and so that just, now you just opened up this conversation Mm -hmm. already. And again, I want to emphasize that I don't think either one of us feel like we're going to have any major resolutions to anything related to this. But I think just even opening up the conversation there are a thousand different angles. We just sometimes I start my classes when mm-hmm. we have a complicated subject, and I will just say to the students, "Okay, free flow, free association. Let's write up on the board everything that comes to mind when we say X. Yeah, if X is um, something about sexuality, if it's something about war and ethics, or whatever it is, you just imagine, you know, how how the board just fills up." I have something to confess to you, um, actually. The last class that you had, or maybe the one before that, I'm not entirely sure. I think it was fall semester was the last human sexuality class that you taught. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sat with some of my friends while they were filling out your questionnaire at the beginning of class. And I don't know if you remember the question about, as a woman, is it sinful to lick an ice cream cone in the presence of a man because it might cause him to stumble? (laughs) And does the flavor of the ice cream change the answer to that question? That was me. That was your question. That was my question. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) What's it? It's actually a super (laughs) fair question. But yes, I've participated in those questionnaires, but only anonymously. That's that's, that's part of what the fun of it is, is that Mm -hmm. that is my first assignment to those students. As I say, so go interview 10 people and get three questions that if you were taking a class on human sexuality, what would you want to have the questions be? What would you want to make sure get covered? Mm It is stunning to yeah, read through. You had like some if great people, questions. yeah, and if people just have the freedom to ask their questions, then it drives the conversation. And that's where I think you and I are headed in this particular episode. Mm-hmm. Is I have so many questions. To your point, I didn't grow up with yeah a society that seemed it, where it was so pervasive. Mental health was just it, it, we just didn't talk about it. I can remember a few yeah. students. I, I do remember. One scenario in which I came to class uh, as an eighth grader at my junior high, mm-hmm. and suddenly the principal came over the loudspeaker and said, I'm very sorry, I have an announcement to make mm-hmm. today. And we all sort of paused, whether we were in hall or, or class at that time. And he said that uh, student so-and-so, and I remember this mm-hmm. student because he was on baseball teams with me growing up and in Little League, and he was somebody that I had hung out with. That he had taken his own life. Yeah. And that was something that was so, um, it really made an impact on me. And yet it, it just with how unusual it was as mm-hmm. well that somebody had taken their own life. And we just didn't ever talk about anything with mental health. And I, I honestly, Anna, some people would say, well, everybody was really struggling with mental health back then, but there just wasn't the freedom to talk about it. Yeah. And now there is the freedom to talk about it today. And I don't buy that. I think that there was a quite a bit. I mean, there's definitely people that probably didn't feel the freedom to talk about it. Yeah, But absolutely. I just don't think that it was anywhere near as pervasive as it is today. I mean, suicide rates are way up. Depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, all of this stuff is way up. And so I don't think it's a simple as saying we were all just repressed back then and couldn't talk about it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I have a couple of different things that I would probably say about that. I mean, we've touched on this here and there. I also think that the circumstances in which you grew up and the circumstances in which I grew up are vastly different. They and are the kinds super of different. worlds that we grew up in are incredibly different. Um, and I think 
what we're seeing a lot of, okay, I'm going to back it up, turn my abstract thought fragments into actual words, and we're going to, we're going to give this a go. Yeah. Um, but part of the reason why I initially started going to therapy, because I'm currently in therapy, um, is because I spent a lot of my time feeling was feeling like life was a lot more difficult than it should be. Um, was just exhausted and overwhelmed all the time. Little emotional things would set me off in one direction or another. I like I felt like I didn't have capacity to deal with my life. Right. And I think a huge element of that is the society that we live in. Um because we are like global connection and and some of the resources like the internet and the news and the whatever can be so helpful in so many ways and it can also be so detrimental and part of what i have found is that living in american society where everything is so individualistic and it's all about you and what you want to do and where you want to go and who you want to be and also somehow all of the problems are are things that can be fixed by you Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you're also exposed to worldwide famine war drought genocide like poverty hunger politics like when you're exposed to that on a worldwide basis and what you have been fed from your childhood is that you can do anything And it's your responsibility to fix this. And then especially in America where we tend to view ourselves and our country as like the savior and the white knight and the whatever, at least throughout history, I feel like there's an added emphasis on that that maybe isn't present in as many other countries where then it's like almost as an American because we stand for freedom, like it's my responsibility, which I just think is so warped and so unhelpful and i can see how that would so deeply contribute to huge amounts of anxiety and depression because we just don't have the capacity to take on a worldwide like amount of information we don't have the capacity to take on the world's problems mm-hmm. and that is what we are asked to do every day Okay, so let's talk about this subject first related to that because I think you've helpfully identified what the daily experience is mm-hmm. of a typical young person that maybe isn't appreciated sometimes in terms of how you are living your world by somebody from my generation or even yeah. older than my generation is there's this idea that our country has been founded on individualism to your point, mm-hmm. which simply means that I should be empowered to live my life as I see fit, and I should live my life in a meaningful way for the good of other people and and, mm-hmm. and the and so, and all of that I think makes a fair amount of sense if your life is within a little village somewhere, right? Where the problems that you see and the and the input that you have daily mm-hmm. is happening within a hundred people in a little village in a five square mile radius or something like that, right? Exactly. But when individualism um, gets empowered in greater and greater ways. And mm-hmm. so now I, I, I'm confident in this part of the statement that we have increasingly empowered people's individualistic impulses yeah. through technology, meaning that 
I can go on my phone and basically get all the information about anything that I want all the time. Mm -hmm. And then mobility, it's so much easier to just drive around these days. It's easier actually to fly around. Like the globe has gotten smaller. And so our village is not 100 people in a five square mile radius. It feels like it's billions now. Mm -hmm. Like we have to be contributing to the the goodwill of everybody all the time, everywhere with this constant stream coming through our phone. So I think that that idea of we want to empower people's individualized dreams and individualized life to do so, but then you feel overwhelmed. Like it's Mm -hmm. just me and the world. There isn't Mm -hmm. anybody else around but me and the world. I'm pretty sure people from your generation, as I talk to my students, feel like they have to do something big for the world. And they're like sadly empowered falsely Mm-hmm. by technology and mobility to do all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so you're 21 years old, uh-huh. right? So let's just say that your next five years were going to be spent in a five square mile radius with 100 to 150 people and you would be trying <laughs> to make an impact within that world. Yeah. I mean, it, that feels like somebody just, how does that, why, I won't name it, how does that feel to you? Feel Other than the, you're a total failure. Oh, thanks. Well, oh. <laughs> yeah, no, but does, it does, you would feel a bit like a failure. I just oh, named yeah. it. I just said I wouldn't Absolutely. name it and I did. Uh-huh. Um, I think, well, okay, it would, de- it would depend on how you would define success. If that was like where I ended up and that wasn't where I wanted to be, then yeah, maybe I would consider myself a failure. Okay. If that was something that was chosen by me or if that was like a standard experience, then I don't know that I would consider that a failure at all. Okay. Um, but what I will say is that you just came alarmingly close to describing my high school experience and you could not pay me to go back to that. Like, is, is that what it was like? I mean, it, I you, mean, you ran with a herd of, of kids in a, yeah. in a musical theater company. Well, not and not just in musical theater, but in um, the, the yeah, co-ops homeschool and the co-op. sure. uh, PSEO and like all of that. It was all the same group of kids. And so we all spent four years together. There was maybe 200 of us from like sixth grade through 12th grade. Yeah. And and to give you an idea of what that was like, by the time we graduated, um, every guy that I knew who was in an acceptable age range for anybody to be dating, either I had dated him or one of my friends had dated him. And sometimes we had both dated him. Yeah. And so, and it was just like after, it was really after about two years, we all were like, well, we've exhausted every possible social interaction here. There is simply nothing else for us to do. And then like one or two new people would show up and we would all be so excited about it for like (laughs) three months. And then we'd be like, and once again, we have exhausted every possible social interaction. Yeah. And there's nothing else for us to do. And it was, yeah, it, after a while, we both, or we all were just like, wow, this is so much. And and yet what's coming through your phones and some of the messages you're getting is, mm-hmm. and even in the Christian church, it's like, you need to do something big for Jesus. Yeah. You know? And so like big is solving climate change. I mean, it, it, yeah. it does feel like it's on you to solve climate issues. It's on you to solve human poverty. Mm-hmm. It's on you to solve trafficking. It's on you to solve all of these sorts of things to do something big for Jesus. But the reality is, is most people's lives is, com- they are comprised in a, Absolutely. in a little square. I mean, maybe it's 50 square miles these days, but it's just not that many people. So you mm-hmm. get all these messages of doing something big for Jesus or significant for the world or realize your individualism. 
And yeah, yeah same, so maybe okay. So that's I've that's just like one area. Yeah. So that, get, say a little bit more because there's some offshoots of this then that are a next part of the conversation. Yeah, and I think first and foremost, what I want to say is that I don't think that this means that technology is bad or that the world should become smaller or that we should all form our little cult groups and right. and only live with fifty other people for the rest of our lives. Like, I don't think any of that at all. I think. Part of the reason why my generation is talking so much more about mental health is as our world has become somehow both bigger and bigger and bigger individually and smaller and smaller and smaller globally, then the question has become, what do we do about that? How do we manage that? How do we make sure that we don't reach capacity so quickly? How do we find balance and all of that? And so I think that's where a lot of the questions of mental health have come from. One of the other things that you and I talked about just right before recording this is how would we even define mental health, like what even is mental health. Um, And part of the way that I have thought about it that just has been helpful for me and my own personal definition, not like from a research or anything like that, from a research, (laughs) (laughs) but um, just like the, the way that I have thought about it is in terms of if I'm thinking about my physical health, I'm thinking about like, am I consistently in pain somewhere? Is something not functioning correctly? Do I feel sick? Do I feel abnormally tired? Do I feel weird? Are there changes in how I am existing um, or in my routine? Like all of the things that you know when you're like, oh, I can feel that I'm starting to get sick, right? Physically, I look for some of those same signs mentally. So am I more emotionally... Uh, unstable, frankly. <laughs> right. Then, then normal. Does is it taking me longer to process information? Do I get more stressed out about little things more easily? Like, it's it's those kind of questions. And I think part of what I've noticed, at least about myself, in terms of my physical health, is that when I am in what I call go mode all the time, where I'm just running and running and running and going from one thing to the next to the next to the next. I know that there's only a certain period of time, usually about a week or two, that I can do that before my physical system crashes and I get sick. And I think what has essentially happened is that with the overload of information that has been part of my generation is we've been essentially in go mode in our brains. For sure. For a whole generation. For sure. And and we're all just crashing. Yeah. Um, and now we're trying to figure out how to rebuild that and, and kind of protect ourselves a little bit when that like exterior go mode is not slowing down. It's only speeding up. I think that's, uh, yes. So in this big, broad category of there's just too much going on in any given day, there's too much world available to Mm -hmm. us. There's too much information available to us. That's even being weaponized in some ways, uh, to, to try to get into our feeds all the time. So let's just take that now into the next. So just knowing that that's one big mm-hmm. category that now we just put up on the big whiteboard in the university classroom, yep. too much information, too much happening, too much pressure, too much I've got to change everything. I've got to do stuff big for Jesus, like all of that category. Yeah. So Which we th- can do a whole series of things saying. on um, do something big for Jesus because, boy, do I have some rants about that. Oh, uh, well, yeah. And, and uh, for sure, it's like how do we find big and what is Jesus's <laughs> expectations are. There's like all of these offshoot conversations, yeah, yeah. right? But I think you brought up another uh, piece of this that um, because I'm I'm like you, I'm not anti-technology. I try to be discerning within technology. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the questions always in go mode. 
I know for sure from my generation is that I, I was not always in go mode with some version of relational interaction. Yeah. And if we start using things like TikTok and Instagram and, um, and you know, old school Facebook and some of these other, <laughs> I know, <laughs> wow. dinosaur Facebook. Uh-huh. But it start, talking about this is another part of the conversation that we need to have mm-hmm. is what does it mean to always be in relational go mode on our phones and social media with people that either we sometimes do know, Mm -hmm. often don't know. I was at a concert last night with uh, some friends of ours. It was Katie Tunstall and Martin Sexton. So, you know, not well, well well-known names, but people that are brilliant musicians. Absolutely. And Katie Tunstall was just getting ready to tell a story and somebody from the crowd shouted something that they already knew about the story. I think it was that she brought her dogs from the UK to Minneapolis. So she was traveling with her dogs for the first time. Not weird about the dogs, weird about the story. Yeah, I know, right. Yeah. And somebody from the crowd shouted, oh, we saw your dogs. And she's like, how did you see? And she's like, like, oh, that's right. I'm on Instagram. You know everything about my life right now. Yeah. And the point is, is that you can follow endless number of people that you don't know on Instagram that are famous. You can follow, um, and there's this whole sort of Mm -hmm. industry, cottage industry of Instagram influencers that want everybody to follow. And plus, then you just follow your friends all the time and Mm -hmm. you're texting all the time. I would come home from high school Yeah. And I basically maybe had a buddy that I would hang out with or I would just kind of hang with my family for that night because there wasn't that much to do. So I wasn't in go mode Mm -hmm. from five o'clock in the afternoon until seven o'clock the next morning when I'd get back on the bus. Is there anything there to talk about related to without demonizing social media? Because it can be a we just had a wonderful FaceTime call with our friends Noah and Holly that that technology made possible. That was fabulous. But is there any downside to this that we should probably talk about too, Mm -hmm. about always being in go mode relationally? Yeah. Okay. So really quickly about the social media stuff, I think there's a huge aversion in my generation to acknowledging some of the drawbacks of social media to anybody who isn't like Gen Z or millennial because- I never know what generation is what. What am I? Um, you're, I think, I I'm, think you're Gen X. <laughs> so I'm not even either. Does that make me even less relevant now? You said millennial okay, and Gen like, Z. Like Lily Ellis, is, she's a millennial. And she's in her late twenties. Yeah. And I'm, I'm theoretically Gen Z. I was, uh, I was in okay. the weird in-between period yeah. where you're not really a millennial, but you're not really Gen Z yet. So I'm not a boomer. No. I'm yeah, so I'm Gen X. I must be yeah, Gen X. Okay, Gen all right, all right. So um, there's this resistance though in in right. your because generation. With all of the conversations about mental health, social media has been so demonized by Gen X and by For sure. And so yeah. get out of my um, yard demonization, you right, weirdos. Exactly. Yeah. Um get out of my yard social media. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just the know. old man statement. Yeah. And yeah. I will say the older I get, the more I sympathize with that statement. There's just no oh, question yeah. about it. Oh, yeah, 100%. I was doing yard work um, the other day right by our street yeah. and, and people kept driving by and I'm like, you are too close to my yard right now. <laughs> just drive on a different street, you loser. If it helps, I'm already there. Okay, good. Because like I would, when I was living in Scotland and pass my this down. window is right outside over the entrance to right? the gardens. Yes. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to study and it's finals week and there's some four-year-old having a meltdown outside my window yes. and I'm sitting there and I'm like that's not technically my property but get off my property <laughs> totally okay so um, now that we've established yeah, no. yes this um 
I am a cranky old man at heart. I love that. Um, and I'm only leaning into that the older that I get. Yeah, no, me too, for fun. sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's been such a resistance to acknowledge the drawbacks of social media to anybody who isn't within millennial and Gen Z, anybody who isn't super used to using social media all the time um, because it has been so demonized. And with conversations of mental health, it's often like, oh, the reason why you have anxiety is because you're on that phone all the time and right. that's the problem here. Right. And we're all like, okay, except that the, si the society that we currently live in requires us to be on our phone all the time in order to be able to participate in that society on any meaningful level. And I found the same thing because I wasn't on Instagram until I was 18. Um, and I found it was so hard for me to make new friends when I wasn't on social media. Yeah. But I, I think, like, and I, I think again, people in my generation don't, they just don't understand yeah. that this is how people meet, I mm -hmm. guess, get to know. And I'm Absolutely. not even saying healthy or unhealthy. It just is the mechanism yeah. by which people meet these days. A hundred percent. And it was like, I had the friends that I had had my whole life, but it was so hard for me to make new friends or to keep those friendships going when we didn't have that way of kind of like distantly keeping tabs on each other. Right. Um, but now like I have friends all over the world and I use Instagram. Like the idea of me not having Instagram now is not at all about posting or stories or like any of that stuff. I could not care less about any of that. My thing is, is that if I got rid of Instagram, I wouldn't be able to talk to any of those mm -hmm. people. Like, that's how I do that. Um, but then the other piece of all of it is that in terms of job opportunities and school opportunities and making school connections, keeping up with local news, keeping up with your local communities, social media is how we do that now. Mm -hmm. And even um, I had somebody who I am actually like, starting to get to know now and it's been really, really fun. But I had her come up to me at the end of class like two weeks ago and she was like, I stalked your Instagram last night and I decided that we should be best friends. Right. And I was like, that's amazing. And I would absolutely love to be best friends with you. And that is fantastic. And now like she and I are in the beginning stages of our friendship, but that might not have happened if I wasn't on Instagram. Right. And all of the advice that I have heard about getting job opportunities and school opportunities and internships and and all of that moving forward in my life is that the only thing worse than having negative impact on social media is not, not having social media at all. And I think, so that's another bucket of conversation that mm -hmm. it's not as simple when a pastor or a professor or a parent or somebody just says, you need to get off of social media and you're going to be fine. Absolutely. It actually can for understandable reasons, create that much more anxiety mm -hmm. because you might be feeling like you're missing out. And yet then we have to acknowledge what you said, which is that oftentimes your generation doesn't want to acknowledge that there's a negative downside to this as well. And so mm -hmm. this is the complicated question of how do we stay engaged in the world with the kind of technological mediums that how can they be used in balance so yeah. that they don't take us down these crazy rabbit holes? Because I think most of the research would show that it is possible that these very same mediums that could be helpful mm -hmm. also can be really harmful. And how do you do? How do you do it in in a in a healthy kind of way? I think is a great bucket of yeah. conversation. But it also brings up another. You just brought up the best friend thing. Mm -hmm. That's another. As we're sort of just swimming yeah, around yeah. in this tohu vavohu. I, I don't know 
too many young people that I've met today. And But I also now can lump my generation into this. These are broad statements, so I know mm-hmm. that there's going to be exceptions to this all over. But I don't know many people that have somebody in their life that they just genuinely trust in an ongoing basis hmm. as a really dear friend. I know my generation yeah. is filled with adult play dates where we just we have to plan two weeks in advance and get together and get caught up and then we leave. And, and we've talked about that in the past, but I think it's very hard to make a friend these days who really knows you inside and out. And, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty sure the research shows that if you have even just one friend like that, the healthy impact that that has on whatever, however we define mental health, let's just say yeah. like a positive way to interact with your day, to just have one friend that knows you mm-hmm. and and that you can trust has a pretty dramatic impact. And I, I don't know how many people can even name that. They might know a lot of people, yeah, but I'm not sure if they know people in the kind of way that's going to be as helpful as when you have that real close friend. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that has been, I am lucky enough to currently have a few people like that and and to have had and lost a few people like that over the course of my life as well. Um, but no, having that person that I'm like, I can text you at two in the morning about absolutely nothing and you're not going to respond for 12 hours but but you know what I meant at my core and you know who I am and you understand me and you care about me anyways. Like that is so important to have in my life and the the periods in my life where I haven't had that, my my mental health has gotten so, so, so much worse. Yeah. Um, but I think part of what I'm finding that is making me at least somewhat hopeful and maybe it's just the circles that I run into maybe it's just incredible luck maybe it's a god thing I don't really know but I I have been lucky enough in my life that as somebody who has held that kind of role in my life is sort of beginning to drift away somebody else like that begins to show up in my life mm-hmm. but it's what I find is that those friendships are almost never the people who like make friends in the traditional way where you like hang out once and you're like, no, nah, that was kind of fun. And then you do it again. And then like six months later, you're like actually friends and you kind of know each other and right. whatever. Right. Those friends that I have found in my life are the friends where we have consciously and like out loud communicated to each other and decided in a moment we are going to be friends and we're going to do whatever we have to do to make sure that we are going to be friends. Mm -hmm. And this is an agreement that we're making between the two of us, and we're going to live that out. Because I think the the disconnect in relationship, platonic, romantic, familial, whatever, in my generation is so strong. It is. That I'm running into so many people now who are just so sick of that. And they're like, we don't know how to be friends. Our generation doesn't know how to be friends. Screw it. You're my friend now we're going to figure this out together. Mm-hmm. And and those friendships are the ones that have lasted and have been deeply meaningful to me. Well, I think they're often characterized, and I was reflecting with you that I, I'm at the end of book two mm-hmm. of the Wing Feather Saga that was Which written by beautiful. Andrew P- Peterson. Yeah, I, I was mildly into it in book one. Oh my gosh, it's just taken off in book two, as stories do. He's just yeah. building a world and he's doing what he's doing. But And it reminds me of Chronicles of Narnia, where it's like mm-hmm. technically a children's book, but, but there's, there's so, so much, much more. in there. There's and so it's much just more. delightful and funny and profound. And yeah, yeah. anyways, and, and, go ahead. 
I don't want to, I won't wreck any of the story for anybody mm-hmm. who hasn't read it, uh, but there is a statement at the end of the second book where one of the main characters you know has a backstory, but that backstory has been primarily hidden this whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's something that he has intentionally not talked about and people don't know about him. And he's living a beautiful life right now, but you know he has skeletons in his closet yeah. in the past for sure. And those skeletons all come and emerge out at mm-hmm. the end of book two. And Peterson writes this brilliant statement that caught me up short when I read it, where now that everything is on the table, it said, so now they knew all there was to know about him, and yet he realized he was loved anyway. Yeah, which and is it just so beautiful. Ca- and so I don't know what else constitutes a best friend, mm-hmm. but again, this would be a huge subject for conversation. We're just putting stuff up on the whiteboard yep. today. Yep. Do you have somebody, does anybody have somebody in their life where they know your whole story, all of the skeletons. And and this Mm -hmm. person in this story did horrifically abysmal, awful things in their past, and yet they were loved anyway. And and now we're talking about what God's kingdom is like. We're talking about what friendships are meant to be. We're talking about all of this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. in that. But I think if you just have one person that knows your story and loves you anyway, Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I don't know what that does to mental health entirely because I still, again, oh, can't yeah. necessarily define what mental health is, but it has to be helpful. Oh, yeah. Well, and even um, my wonderful, beautiful best friend, Lily, who I get to see in a week and I'm so excited about right. that. Um, she has known me for 18 years and she has been with me through the good decisions in my life and the frankly terrible decisions in my life. And one of the things that I really appreciated about her is that yeah, she'll call me out when I make a terrible decision, but mostly she's on my side no matter what, regardless of whether or not it makes sense. She will defend the most ridiculous things that I have ever done in my life yeah. and then quietly call me out on right, it, right. which I really appreciate. But she and I have have talked half-jokingly before about um, how it's too late now and neither of us have any choice but to be each other's best friend because we both know too much about the other for us to not be friends. Yeah. So the only yeah. way out of this is, is death. That's great. Point, I love that. Because I'm like, you know too much about me to be wandering around in the world. Like, right, right, right. That's not how this works. But yeah, having that close friendship over 18 years has just been so instrumental in my life. Yeah, it just, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So I've got a few more to throw at you uh, that are mm-hmm. potential topics and all of this that I wonder about. Yeah. Should a person who is struggling with mental health on some level, and again, I... Does, does that mean they're just having bad thoughts in the day? Mm-hmm. They feel overwhelmed, whatever it all is. Should they take some sort of pharmaceutical hmm. intervention, a pill of some kind? And I, I remember in a time in my own life when I was faced with a terminal diagnosis yeah. for a season of my life in my early 30s that turned out to be an incorrect diagnosis, but I still had to live in it for a fairly extended period of time. Mm-hmm that it was so destabilizing that I went on some anti-anxiety medication for a little while. Mm-hmm. I would say two things about it, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this, is that it it did sort of, I, I don't want to say it stabilized my day. Yeah, It just took all of the edge off of my day. And, and on some level, it was helpful for me then to be able to process the trauma of all of that, which I think yeah. was super helpful. Mm-hmm. 
And yet at the same time, my day felt a little gray. Like I felt I couldn't pick and choose then to have joy over here and happiness and all of the the positive energy of life Mm -hmm. while then bracketing off the negative energy of life. It felt like it just sort of shut all of life down and I was sort of this meh person. And so my my own thought is that I students will ask me, should I take mm-hmm. some sort of pill for all of this? To, at which point I usually will say, I don't know for sure the right answer to that question, but to help stabilize things a little bit in the middle of trauma or try to get to then the root of what's going on. Yeah. I think that physical pills can be helpful, mm-hmm. but for sure science says that we adapt to the physical pills so they stop working after a period of time. Yeah. Uh, but But if they create space to get to the root of some of these things that are often spiritual, Do you think Mm -hmm. that's a fair statement to say that both, and now let's lump therapy into this as well, which you're in right now. Mm -hmm. So some sort of intervention, whether a pill or a therapist, would you say, yeah, or both, Mm -hmm. is helpful, but maybe not as the solution to all of this, but as a way to create space that so much of this is spiritual in its origin at the end of the day? Uh, What do you think about that? Yeah, I think think there is an aspect. Okay, hmm. First These of are all, big questions. Yeah, they're yeah. really big questions. That's why it feels with Tohu the Babo. medication piece of it. I, I think I would agree with you in terms of like I don't know that that is a permanent solution. I think for some people it, it is and it has to be. Um, and it, and in that situation, I'm like, all right, sure. Um, and they often do have to tweak people's medication to keep absolutely. them at least like stable on some level because mm-hmm. our our physiological physiology of our body because mm-hmm. we're verbs and not nouns we change yeah, and absolutely. we go from dysregulation to regulation and all and that's again a topic for the future but yeah for some people yeah. it's so severe that to even function in a day maybe it is a lifelong mm-hmm. thing absolutely and i i think it can be really helpful as a tool to help bring those levels down so that like uh, okay to use the language that i used earlier if i was on medication to expand my capacity so that I would have room to start processing everything instead of just being overwhelmed all the time, then absolutely, I think so. Um, but I think medication in particular, not as much as therapy, but or sorry, therapy less so than medication, um, but I think it has been really demonized in Christian culture yeah, for, for sure reasons has. that I honestly could not understand or articulate. Yeah. Um, well, I think some of it comes from the, and this is what I would mm-hmm. have said as part of this too, is I think there's this really thin theological assumption mm-hmm. to say something like Jesus is enough for you. And and like yeah. on every level that's true, on mm-hmm. an, every level that's wrong in, in the way that it's used, if that makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Uh, like there is a sufficiency. Like I get all that. And the, yeah. again, I, we're not going to get into the weeds of all of these topics today. I just think that's going to mm-hmm. be for, for potentially for future episodes, depending yeah. on what comes out of all of this. But it's also like, well, you should just, pray. should you just be able to pray like on <laughs> yeah. Friday and Saturday night and you're going to be fine by Sunday? Okay. Like, how does that whole thing even work mm-hmm. related to all of this? So yeah. there's been this really thin theological approach of just pray a couple days and Jesus is sufficient and you're fine, which mm-hmm. usually means somebody goes into greater denial because they're like, well, that thing didn't work. <laughs> and they've told me I can't go to therapy and yep. I can't take pills. And Jesus turned out to not be enough, at least the way that it was framed. And so mm-hmm. then there's this massive confusion. Yeah, yeah. And so then about that with the, I think that ties exactly into your question of spirituality and how it might be a spiritual issue at, at its heart. And and I would say, I think there's an aspect of it that is spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have been talking about with my therapist so much is the idea of 
reintegrating the spiritual, mental, and physical. Mm -hmm. Because both in Christian culture and in secular culture, we have separated those three so aggressively that they don't even know how to talk to each other anymore. Yeah. And so if I'm physically exhausted, that's going to affect my mental health. If I'm mentally exhausted, that's going to affect my physical health. If I'm spiritually exhausted, that's going to affect both. Mm -hmm. Like it, they're all three intertwined and they all go together. And I think we're talking about mental health as a thing completely separate from spiritual or physical health, which is part of why it's so difficult to, so to get to the heart of it. Yes. Um, but then some of the question of therapy and medication and all of that as well um, is just that if we're not reintegrating those three things, I don't think that we can get to the heart of it because we're not viewing ourselves as a whole person. Um but I, I do think, I mean, part of the reason why I went to therapy was I got to a point where I was like, I can't do this by myself anymore. I have reached the end of what I can do for myself in terms of pulling myself out of this or even what my inner circle of community can do for me to help me pull out of this. And I actually need somebody who is trained in this to help me get out of it. But I think there's an assumption in my again, in my generation that I actually would really steer away from, um, which is that once you're in therapy, what you do is just kind of keep going to therapy right. forever right. and that you're always going to need therapy. And again, I think for some people that is the case. For some people, they don't have anybody else that they can process things with. But I'm like, I'm going to therapy in the hopes of accumulating enough coping mechanisms and kind of patching this whole thing together enough right that i can be a capable person mm -hmm. and, and function well in the world without needing professional help and then i i know people who have been to therapy and have stopped therapy and gone back because sure. they were like something happened in my life that now i need help again but i think it's like going to the doctor yes or it's like if nobody would assume that you would go to the doctor every week for the rest of your life like that's ridiculous mm -hmm. and and somehow that is perceived as the end all solution. Yeah, so I think like a big part of the conversation with what you just said with all of that is that I do think it just I, I've used the word thin now twice. Mm -hmm. But I think it it speaks to the the utter pretty macro failure of the institutional church to have the kind of spiritual journey in which some of these things could actually be integrated into our life of faith. And in fact, yeah. it's not even could be integrated. It's not the right phrase. It is they are central to and a substantive part of our faith that has long been hidden from us. And here's what I mean by that is mm -hmm. that I think it's really hard to make friends in church, people it that you is. trust, people it's that so would hard. have wisdom. I mean, what does a therapist do other than somebody who has wisdom and training and has spent background to help bring wisdom and discernment to another person's life. Mm -hmm. There really isn't anything standing in the way of being in a church community where there's elders and people that are trustworthy and, and yeah. people that could help bring that kind of stability to another person's life. And yet church, it's almost a complete vacuum in all yeah. of that. And then I think about other practices that can be helpful, things that we're now introducing into the Christian church from other angles like breath prayers or yoga or some of yeah. these things that I'm like, I'm not anti those things, but I have some questions about, mm -hmm. is this a Christian thing or are we substituting what should be, you know, a Christian journey mm -hmm. of silence and solitude and meditation and like the things that are positive about yeah. these not 
Christian tradition and things, but are being brought into many evangelical churches, have we just missed so much in terms of a whole discipleship journey, focusing on teaching people creeds and Bible verses and not teaching them how to live a whole relational spiritual life with God and other people. I just think that's a humongous topic. I don't know your thoughts about that, but we're sort of substituting some things and they're necessary. So I'm not anti-therapy and I'm not Mm -hmm. anti-pill and all of that, but I just wonder... Mm-hmm. Could we also simultaneously ask some questions about what are we even doing when we're in this institutional church setting where so many pastors and people are burnt out and there's people that are, you know, mm-hmm. they have some friends, but they're maybe not entirely the kind of friends that they could share their whole story with, like all of that, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, frankly, I think that's a question that I would need some time to think about. Me too, yeah. I think that's not something that I can respond to right off the cuff because I think the answer to that is really important and I want to be really intentional and careful in my answer. It's just whiteboard day. We're not going to try to answer. Absolutely. Yep. Well, and I mean, we said this was going to be a mini episode. I suppose this is mini-ish for us, but we're at about 44 minutes here. Yeah. So let's do a couple more. I just have, I'll just throw, we'll do rapid fire. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, Importance of a functioning, healthy family. Ooh, okay. Because we live— And how would you even define well, that? Well, <laughs> see, that's going to get dodgy, mm-hmm. too, because certainly in our society today, it's as long as there are some parents, uh, either of same gender or opposite gender, that mm-hmm. love one another, that would form a, fun- a functioning family. And so, but are we talking about, since the 1970s, the breakdown of the nuclear family, of mm-hmm. which has been male and female-oriented, and that is more of the biblical witness around that? Yep. Here's here's what I would say about that. I'm not we can talk about all of those things. Mm-hmm. What I'm pretty confident is that there are marks left on the soul of a young person when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and they're simply just getting up into their normal day with their bowl of oatmeal and their whatever. Yeah. And mom or dad comes in and says, We're splitting up, we're living in different spots. And and the reason why I say yeah. that is I know those stories um from so many young people about the trauma that that has been. That that has that leaves a deep impact, and it's not unhealable. Mm-hmm. But I think we can't be scared to talk about the dramatic impact of of this kind of thing on mental health as well. Yeah, and I, and then I think even going further off of that is that then it is the question of, but is it even more traumatizing to stay in that relationship? Exactly. If it's deeply unhealthy for everybody involved, and also in in the questions of same gender and um, heterosexual relationships. Um, is then it's even the question of like, okay, but are the heterosexual relationships always healthy just by definition of being heterosexual or can you have a much healthier same gender relationship than you can? Now you're in like, my forthcoming sexuality series that I'm right? going to have to do it someday. Yeah, and are we even class. talking about right. familial on a uh, like blood relation level? Or are we talking, or not even a blood relation level, but just in terms of like a, we all live in the same house and we're all related to each other kind of thing. Or are right. we talking about it in a communal sense? Cause I have people that I would consider family who I'm not related to, who don't live here, who weren't like growing up in my family with me, but, but I would consider them family and they have, them and their relationships have had as big of a impact on my life mm-hmm. as, as you guys, as, as the like biological family. Yeah. 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 All right. So maybe just what there's more that we could do when mm-hmm. I know um, we're going to invite people through your Instagram feed yes. to, to yeah. throw in some for some further topics, but okay. So since you already <laughs> kind is, of, a, what is our Instagram handle? I should know that. It's, <laughs> I think it's just at the deeper magic. There's no question by the end of summer, I will have my own Instagram account. I can't That's, wait. 
I have I have no content idea. to post. Okay, but that's here, a really bad idea. So can I way. give you the last deeper ones? magic podcast? Deeper magic podcast. So here is the hot potato one that goes with it too. Hot um, potato. How much does the um, whole category of romance, um, sexual Ooh. promiscuity? Okay, so let's just say them all, right? Yeah. So yeah, like yeah. romance. In the confusion of all of that, mm-hmm. sexual promiscuity, the fact that people feel a lot more, quote, freedom in their sexual, mm-hmm. like the number even of partners, just to say it as, as bluntly as mm-hmm. possible, to um, to, the, to the gender blurring and from traditional understandings of gender, like how much, how much of all of this is contributing to mm-hmm. some of mental health issues in, in our world today, would you say? Yeah. Again, that's one where I'm like, I think I really need to think about that because <laughs> I really want to be careful. Yeah, I know. Okay. I think, yeah. okay, do, okay. Let me just ask you: Do you think it contributes in some way? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, we'll and, be, I, and I think mental health contributes to that. I think so too. I, okay. Like, I think it's a feedback loop. Okay, I love that. Okay, so um, and again, both in traditional and in more modern ways of understanding what it means to be in romantic or platonic or yes, for sure, same gender, different gender relationships, like it. I want to be really clear when I'm saying that, that it doesn't sound like same gender or whatever relation, LGBTQ relationships right, I, go hand in hand as a feedback loop with mental health. Like that's not no, no, what no, I'm no, saying No, 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 that's not what you're saying. It's just the whole category right. of all of it does. Modern for sure understanding does. of all of that goes hand in hand with mental health. And I think it's creating a feedback loop. For sure. And I know I said that I had the last one, but now I have the last one. Wow. Okay. So this is, this is probably really, truly the last one. Uh-huh. Um, I believe you. As, does the power of suggestion and social contagion have anything to do with this? Meaning that mm-hmm. it's something you alluded to earlier that I'm not going to say people will wear it as a badge of honor. That's too strong. Mm-hmm. But when it gets talked about at the level that it does it, you, in your- When like, what does? Mental when health? mental health does. So like, so, okay, so yes. mental health didn't get talked about at all in my generation to mm-hmm, speak mm-hmm. of. So if you're struggling with it, you didn't feel the freedom to even really talk about it probably yeah, on some okay. level. Although I do think objectively mental health issues were not anywhere near oh, uh, I statistically think I as they're now. With this but question. now I'm wondering okay. today, it's almost like because it gets talked about so much, the power of suggestion is such that a person is interpreting their world- hmm. Uh, and I know this is sometimes comes from my generation. I'm like, well, just suck it up. I mean, we all had to find jobs. We all <laughs> didn't have a lot of money at times. We all got broken up with, you yeah. know, it's like, uh, you know, we didn't live in a participation trophy world. There were winners and losers. Like, like okay, I'm not saying this is all and right or wrong. the snow was up to here. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'm just wondering, is there any kind of conversation to be had about this being a social mm-hmm. contagion phenomenon on some level where because it's always in front of us, then we get swept up in it when maybe we shouldn't be? Yes. Okay. I, I, actually, I, have, I know your answer. Your answer is, I'm going to have to research that a little bit before. No, I actually don't have to research <laughs> you that. You don't? Okay. I have personal experience on okay, that. Okay, let's have it. Um, In terms of my own journey with mental health. And yeah. I'm going to keep this relatively this is the la- This is for sure the last one. Um, But in... In high school, um, I had a, a a pretty decent group of friends um, in terms of size, not in terms of like quality of people. I had a decently large group of friends. <laughs> no comment. Um, who were all good people. Yes. Um, but the majority of them really struggled significantly with mental health issues. They did. And at the time, I did not. Mm-hmm. And so I was one of the only people in this significant 
group. And it's because of how good of a dad I was all along. <laughs> Okay, can, Someday can, I want you I, to sit in on I just, one of my uh, therapy I, sessions. Yes. Yeah. I I wish we were streaming that live on video just because <laughs> that look on your face was un, like, you can't possibly fabricate that. Okay, so yeah. continue. Yes, continue. Um, yeah. Uh, for anybody who knows me, I've heard more than once in my life that I can hear your facial expression Yeah, right now. and that was 100% um, the deal. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, but I was part of this group where most of them really struggled with some significant mental health issue or another. And I did not. And there was already a designated, like, quote unquote, therapist friend of the group. So there wasn't really a need for that. Yeah. And and it wasn't that I was consciously, like, choosing to fake mental health things, right? It was absolutely not that at all. But it, it was the power of suggestion mm-hmm. to a certain level where I was like, oh, you're experiencing that? I know what it feels like to be stressed. That means I'm severely anxious because— 15-year-old Anna was stupid and she didn't know anything. For sure. And 21-year-old Anna at least knows. I I didn't mean it that way. I just mean I understand the circumstances, yes. the thing is, is like at least 21-year-old Anna knows she's stupid. So like that feels like groundwork. It's one of the great marks of maturity is when you know you're stupid. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, And when you can admit it. Totally. (laughs) That's when you're super mature. Yeah. Yes. Um, And so, yeah, like 15-year-old Anna was like, oh, I know what it feels like to be sad. I know what it feels like to be stressed. That means that I have some significant mental health issues and then learned from the group, oh, this is what that looks like. This is how you manifest that in community. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is how you express that. And it it felt really unnatural to me because it wasn't what I was experiencing, but it was what I thought I should be experiencing. And it was what I thought that it meant um, to, to be struggling with mental health. Um, and and so I was saying things and doing things that I didn't actually experience, um, mm-hmm. but but I really thought I did from the power of suggestion. That's fascinating. And then, kind of, you guys actually ended up pulling me out of that, and that friend group kind of moved on, and and I got left behind, um, and also kind of chose to stay behind. Um, and, and coming out of that, I still had some like residual mental health things, but they were actually just very low level. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I actually, I can pinpoint when my mental health things like started Mm -hmm. quote unquote, because technically they started when I was a child, but like they, when I first acknowledged them as like, oh, this is significantly impacting my life. And that wasn't until I was about 18. Yeah. That's um, so interesting. Like your journey was from yeah. more of a power of suggestion to sort of an actual reality. Yeah. Kind of thing. So so even to be able to parse out the difference in that when, mm-hmm. when there is the need for some kind of help yeah. versus I just want to fit in. So I've got this issue too. Yeah. And so I think around the time that I turned 18, I started experiencing significant depressive episodes and then when I was about 19 and 20, I started pretty regularly experiencing low to high level um, anxiety and panic attacks. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you and I have both had panic attacks in mm-hmm. our life. They're just a barrel of laughs, aren't they? Oh, they're so, so fun. fun. It's so easy I to talk it. yourself off the edge. Uh-huh. My yeah. favorite is when you can feel them coming like 24 to 48 yeah, hours yeah, ahead yeah. of time. And you're like, man, it. all right, this is going to be fun. Um, but yeah, and and when those started... I didn't know what to call them. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. I had no frame of reference for what this meant. And it wasn't until I started talking to some of my friends about it that they were like, yeah, that's 
depression. Yeah, that's anxiety. And then when I started seeing therapists and they were like, yeah, that's what's going on. I was like, oh, 15 year old Anna was so wrong. And like what I would give to go back to what I thought was anxiety and depression and keep living in that space. Yeah, right. Because really that was just the normal range of human emotion. I just think there's so much that we need to talk about with all mm-hmm. this. I think we've, we've identified uh, some of those things. I know um, to invite people to, as this continues on, and we start maybe teasing out one or two mm-hmm. pieces at a time related to this, I don't even know who we could possibly invite on the program to help yeah. us kind of walk through some of these things. But it's, it is it is the epidemic of our day. It's sort of what marks our day is mm-hmm. this whole crisis. And, and I just, I don't know a lot of helpful solutions yeah. out there right now to sort of walk it out. So thanks for just even doing all of the kind of popcorn yeah. whiteboard work to identify how to think absolutely. about these things. I'm sure we've missed 10,000 more, but it's a good starting for point sure. to get into. Yeah, absolutely. And again, if people have questions or comments or things that they want to bring up or, or things that they would like us to at least think about addressing, depending on how qualified we may or may not. Right. Be but that. we'll try We'll find people. We yeah, have networks absolutely. of people that can help. So um, please do uh, DM on the Instagram or I'll, I will put something up on our page by the time this episode comes out. And so feel free to comment on that. Um, but we would love to hear what you guys have to say about mental health um, and what your experiences have been and what questions you have, because I think that's part of how we get to the other side of this. For sure, for sure. Well, we're recording on Mother's Day. We should probably, yes. I, you know, I know we're, ma- we're, yeah, we're, we're, making, uh, we're making a significant uh, Indian dinner from scratch. I'm so excited about that. With the cookbook from a place in Edinburgh. That's one of our favorite mm-hmm. Indian places in the world. So we'll go up and help mom chop. And uh, yes. thanks everybody for listening to this episode of The Deeper Magic. I am Peter. And on behalf of Anna, who says bye, say bye, Anna. Bye, Anna. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs> bye, guys. Thanks. Magic is produced by Audio on the Rocks, and our music for this episode is Auroras of Saturn by Music L Files. You can head on over to filmmusic.io and find that there. All licensed under Creative Commons 4.0. Beautiful on the site as well. 